0: This is a pedagogue and D Black digital black lit and composition collaboration. It's a podcast mini series that amplifies black graduate student pedagogies, practices, writings, and lived experiences. Every episode of this mini series is a conversation designed to uplift and celebrate black teachers, scholars, students. Each episode features a new perspective, and each episode highlights the work of Black graduate students and their family line of scholars. You can check out D-Black at dblack.org. You can follow D-Black on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. D-Black is an online and in-person network of Black-identified graduate students and advanced undergraduate students in fields related to the study of language. I'm your host, Shane Wood, let's get started.
1: I want you to love it, turn it up when you went public I'm my worst critic, you don't feel it, you won't hear it. Had you waiting for a minute, just to make sure you spin it last, last song was I right, but this time coming with have
0: been just. In this episode, I talk with Kenneth L. Johnson II Kenneth L. Johnson II is a visiting instructor in the Department of English and Modern Languages at Florida A&M University He is also a Ph.D. candidate in English at Florida State University His research interests include 20th and 21st century African-American narrative, Black masculinity studies, and hip-hop studies. His dissertation project focuses on the works of Kiese Lehman and his use of multiple literacies and his narration of Black Southern boyhood. Kenneth, thanks so much for joining us. So you use hip-hop in your writing classes. I was hoping you could talk a little bit about how you use hip-hop to frame writing. and and what your larger goals and objectives are when incorporating hip hop into your writing pedagogy. And then finally, kind of what kinds of songs or artists do you bring into the writing classroom to help you do this work?
1: Um, So a lot of why I use hip hop um, and kind of how I approach um, teaching in higher education has a lot to do with kind of rejecting like the static notions of academia. So, hip hop, and you know, studying African American studies, if we kind of look broadly, it is very young in terms of how long it's been like this kind of academic space. Um, And so, hip hop is even more of an infant, right? And a lot of times it doesn't get that kind of academic credit, right? It's not something that can be um, the seriously academic subject. Um, And reading and writing is, right? And so, I'm kind of interested in how those two fuse together. And I mean, it's really hard to kind of ignore hip hop music and hip hop culture in general, it's this global brand. Even though I have some students who don't, they're not like super fans of hip hop. They have encountered hip hop. And it's really interesting to kind of understand the ways that they think about hip hop um, as, or what they think hip hop is, right? A lot of people think that it's very gendered, that it's very raced, right? Um, and so when I think about hip hop and, and especially like the study of it, I'm really interested in how we kind of separate these parts. Right. And so especially when I'm teaching like analysis, we talk about breaking down whole things into parts and saying what those things mean. And so it's not solely focused on the writing, but we think about the context of this music. What is the production like? How do we understand regional sounds? Right. And local color like lyrics and all of those things and doing it with music kind of takes us out of the book space Um, and a lot of people have a lot of anxiety around reading and writing Um, and so i tend to try to flip my classroom in such a way that students become like content experts they come into the classroom especially in college and they want to prove that they're smart but a lot of them shy away from reading and writing and they shy a lot away in classrooms because they feel like they don't know enough. Um, And so when I think about hip hop, it's something that everybody kind of, again, even if you're not a super fan, it's something that everybody recognizes. They've seen it somewhere, they've heard it somewhere, right? And it's kind of ingrained into so many aspects of culture. And so I really like to look at hip hop artists as poets, right? And so just the different ways that all of these things separately inform what we do right but also coming together and it kind of mirrors the 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 research process to me in terms of you know trying to find sources and trying to understand the introduction and the conclusion how all those things come together and like a like a cohesive research paper in terms of assignments it's called geographies of hip-hop this semester um, and so i broke the class up into groups and each group blindly chose a region that has a hip hop presence. It might not be, I didn't give them like the big ones, like a New York, a Louisiana, or California, gave them some smaller ones. And they kind of had to research the history of music in that area, how hip hop emerged out of these, you know, established musical forms. They had to kind of trace the chronological history of one of the area's most influential hip hop artists and also talked about how those areas value diversity, right? Outside of this kind of Black cisgender man, right? And it was really cool. They had to, you know, give a fact sheet and they had to do an oral presentation and they had to do a written paper. And so kind of using those different modalities, it was really cool. And if nothing else, like they learned about hip hop that they hadn't heard before. And a lot of them were really, appreciative of just being putting on some, onto some new music. So it was really cool.
0: Kenneth, your research focuses on Black masculinity and Black men's memoirs. Can you talk more about this research?
1: Um, So my dissertation is focused on K. S. A. Layman uh, from Mississippi. Um, I first read How to Slowly Kill Yourself and Others in America in a grad seminar. And I was like... This guy writes for me, right? Um, and being a black guy from the south, um, educational spaces were always kind of weird, right? Um, I excelled, but there was always this this notion of I goofed off, and you know I wasn't taking things seriously, and and then you introduce like the racial issues in terms of like society and policing and all of those things his work really spoke to me. Um, And I took a DIS with one of my committee members and it was about black men's memoirs. And so he kind of introduced me to Reginald Dwayne Betts and Randall Horton and Wes Moore and all of these things. And I was just like, wow, it was so amazing to me how all of these stories were about like all of these traumas that they, that these black men dealt with education, family relationships, but the most important part to me was how they started to like re-inscribe their identity. And I felt like the only reason they could do that is because they told their own story. Right. And so this idea of kind of self-writing, um, how they, how they tell their stories, the perspectives that they give, but also how they start to like re-inscribe, um, what it is that they believe about themselves, the things that they've learned. And so my dissertation kind of deals a lot with how KSA Lehman uses multiple literacies Um, whether it be body literacies, hip-hop literacies, cipher literacies, or just literacies that exist outside of just those traditional kind of reading and writing classroom literacies to kind of navigate the South um, and to navigate Black Southern boyhood. And so it's kind of crazy because now being at an HBCU, like I'm surrounded by Black boys. I'm literally kind of surrounded by my research. Um, And so as I teach these books, or you know, these essays, I'm seeing the light bulbs happen and I'm seeing you know Black boys start to learn more about themselves. And ultimately, that is kind of my guiding question. How can we use works by Black men, but specifically key essay laymen, to help Black boys understand who they are and to tell their story?
0: Given your institutional context, it, it really does seem like an ideal intersectional site for your teaching and research. Do you have students write their own stories on Blackness and gender?
1: Absolutely. Um, So in the first of our freshman composition courses, since the second one is focused on research, I usually take the first one to mean personal writing. Um, And so in in How to Slowly Kill Yourself and Others in America, at least the original version, because KSA Lehman has recently put out a revision, um, it started with um, a letter to his Uncle Jimmy, who had passed away. And the letter was really about how, um, while Uncle Jimmy was alive and kind of how he dealt with all of you know, his issues, how even though Uncle Jimmy was problematic, people didn't show him love as much as he should have gotten, right? But also that Uncle Jimmy was this kind of warning for him, right? That all of these things that Uncle Jimmy dealt with. Were essentially going to be things that he would deal with, right? Um, and so, in this in this first course, ENC 1101, I I had this assignment where students had to write a letter to someone who couldn't write them back, and so I told them to, you know, be honest, be brutally honest, right? To express your feelings and use that as a moment of like catharsis, but also it's kind of like this therapeutic space to get off your chest some of the things that um, have been weighing you down, right? And even though they don't have to read them to class, I told them, you know, if you feel so inclined to share this with whomever you wrote it to, you can do that. You don't have to feel pressured to do it. But if you do, I would really love to kind of hear, you know, how that conversation went. And I was kind of overwhelmed at how many emails I got at the end of the semester about reconciliation with fathers, with parents in general, with abusers, with all of these things. And I was just kind of like overwhelmed at how that space allowed them to really like release some really heavy, troubling things. And I was just humbled that, you know, that assignment did that for them.
0: So maybe to kind of keep in the spirit of reflection, I thought I'd ask you to reflect on your own educational journey. So you teach at an HBCU, Florida Agricultural and Mechanical University. And what's really cool is you graduated from there. Um, So talk to me about this journey and how you see yourself looking back as a student and and how you see yourself now as a teacher. And and maybe even more specifically, uh, what you feel like that HBCU space provided you as a Black man? My journey to
1: FAMU, I I wanted to go there out of high school. um, But I think something happened with my housing application. So I started at the University of Florida. I'm from Gainesville. Um, I eventually transferred to FAMU. And I always tell people, I wish I had a full four years. um, Because the, the culture obviously is so rich, right? Um, and to be in a space that is curated specifically so that Black people can excel is amazing. Um, and FAMU is, I know you've probably talked to a lot of HBCU folks and they all say they went to the number one HBCU, but FAMU is the best in my opinion. Um, that might get that might get some pushback in the comments, but we just have to call a spade a spade, right? But in terms of being back in the space, And teaching me, essentially, right, I see in them the space that I was given to grow. And I want to push them there, especially because I teach a lot of freshmen. And I think the biggest thing is that I have empathy, right? I understand exactly, like, the things that they're going through. I understand, you know, from... You know, eating in the calf and what that means to sitting in a classroom in Tucker Hall, what that means, I know firsthand. And it just allows me to really share my experience. But we also kind of have this common playing field, right? Some of the same teachers that they're taking, I took. And so I understand and I can help them kind of navigate, especially the woes of being a freshman at FAMU. And it's, it's just, I I can't even explain the joy I get just from being there. And now I get my extra years, right. That I didn't get as a transfer, but it's, it's really magical. And sometimes it's a really out of body experience because I meet a lot of people that essentially are me. Right. And it is, it's the most bizarre, but also the most amazing feeling. And I love FAMU. And so When I got the call, it was like, hey, there's a visiting position. I was like, heck yeah, I'm coming. Um, And it it has been rewarding every single day.
0: How can the academy support Black teachers, scholars, and students?
2: Man, (laughs) it's such a heavy question. Um, It's crazy because I feel like, you know, Black people and people of color across academia as much as we are in different spaces, right? Florida State is not Southern Miss, Southern Miss is not University of Virginia, University of Virginia is not Minnesota, right? But we kind of all have these experiences. And I think, you know, what it boils down to is seeing us for who we actually are. There have been so many times where I've been in, you know, my building on campus and I've been asked, like, why are you here? What are you doing here? And You know, as much as you learn to kind of shake those things off, it is very disheartening because I belong. Right. And so just seeing people for who they are. Right. And doing doing something about the complaints when you get them. Um, So often our experiences are overlooked for tenure. Right. For the prestige of a faculty member. Um, And it, it really just sends that constant message that you don't matter and and that your experiences don't matter, we don't value them. Um, and of course, things like funding, but you know, just seeing more people of color or black people in the space matters. You know, admitting more people of color, hiring more faculty of color, and allowing black students to carve out spaces where they get things that that are particular necessities to them. Um, There's always so much pushback against that um, as if us carving out a space within a space that is not welcoming is sort of kind of antithetical to what, you know, the mission of that space is. Um, And so, I mean, just just treat people like they're human, right? Give them the same opportunities to funding, give them the same opportunities, you know, for fellowships or, you know, just understanding our work. And, and not casting it aside as this kind of niche thing that's not really academic, but I guess we'll make a concession for it. Um, so, yeah, just seeing us
0: as people and allowing more of us to be in the space, honestly. Thanks, Kenneth. And thank you, Pedagog listeners and followers, for tuning into this Pedagog and D-Black collaboration. I want you to
1: love it, turn it up when you went public I'm my worst critic, you don't feel it, you won't hear
0: it. Had you waiting for a minute, just to make sure you were spinning Last song was I right, but this time coming with a vengeance That's my good friend Raph Peters, a.k.a. Kazo. He's a Houston-based rapper, and that's his single, Liddy You can check him out on YouTube, youtube.com backslash KZO Music That's K-Z-O-E Music